Hey, AC Podcast listeners, Wes here. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know of our upcoming Apologetics Canada Literary Expedition, happening on Sunday, June 26th. The AC Literary Expedition is an initiative of Apologetics Canada to bring people together virtually to explore ideas in their historical context. From a dragon coming up out of the sea and four horsemen bringing disaster to a dazzling throne room with strange-looking beasts flying around, this AC Expedition is going to be on the Book of Revelation. Because the Book of Revelation has puzzled readers for as long as it has been around. You know, put 10 people in a room and you'll get a dozen different interpretations of what is actually going on in the book of Revelation. What is an apocalypse? Should we read it literally or symbolically? What are some of the major interpretations of Revelation and what are their strengths and weaknesses? Join us on June 26th to discuss these and many other interpretations and ideas surrounding the book of Revelation. If you're interested or just simply curious, why don't you click on over to apologeticscanada.com where you can click the AC Literary Expedition link on the homepage. There you can find out more and of course, register for this upcoming event. Looking forward to seeing you there. And now, back to our podcast. Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Wes and Steve. How you guys doing? Doing great. Doing, doing great. Well. Glad to be here. We're we're yeah. happy to see that that Wes made it back from Stranger Danger, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we actually ever shared his story on the podcast. Maybe we did, but if we didn't... Now's the moment. Now's the moment, Wes... What were you doing down in Texas and what was the whole, you know, 26 foot U-Haul truck that you were bringing back across the border? What was that all about? So this is one of the, I think, most wild stories in my life. And I got a, well, I shouldn't say that. I got a few wild stories in my life. (laughs) Um, But this is definitely one of those things where you look back and you think like, wow, if God's got to have orchestrated this, because I have no idea how any of these factors came together. But there was this guy who almost two years ago started following my ministry online, particularly through Facebook, but also through YouTube. He was, he'd like send me articles and stuff and they're pretty good. And so uh, I didn't, I didn't respond because I got a lot of messages. Uh, I didn't respond all of the time, but I just say like, Hey, thank you. And then one of the times he's, he kind of sent me this bio and I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And he, uh, he was a, a former theology professor, and he taught apologetics at, at Southern down in uh, Louisville. And I was like, okay, uh, so, you know, this is someone. He was the, the thesis supervisor for Sean McDowell's doctoral thesis. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, last March, he reached out to me and he said, uh, Wes, this might come as a surprise to you, but I want to fly you down to Texas and I want you to go through my personal library and pick everything you want. And I want you to take it back to Canada with you. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, what? And so <laughs> sounds intimate. this was, yeah, yeah. Right. This was last March. And just with the stuff with the border it didn't work out and I was kind of putting it off and putting it off. And a couple of months ago, my wife, Melissa, who you guys heard on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when the wives took over, um, she just said, Hey Wes, you know, if you're going to do that crazy Texas trip, you should just pull the trigger. You know, there's, 
no time like the present, things at the border looking good, just do it. And so I got in contact with him and I actually called my dad and I asked my dad if he wanted to go. And this guy, his name is Jim Parker, Dr. Jim Parker. He flew me down. I went through his library and I took about 3000 books out of, and I'm not kidding. I didn't even take <laughs> half of them. Um, I put them in a 26 foot U-Haul trailer and my dad and I drove them back from Texas. So we, uh, 3000 books. I kid you not. There, there is a, uh, there's, it used to be a counseling office in our church and it has built in bookshelves and they were all empty and I filled it. So I not only have, if anybody's watched my YouTube videos and stuff, you see books behind me. I've completely removed all the books that used to be on my bookshelf. And now it's just commentaries. Everything behind me is just biblical commentaries. And then all my apologetics books, all my philosophy books, everything else is in an entirely different room. And I still have six totes full of books in the basement of this church <laughs> that I... Uh, they're either like not directly applicable to my research and stuff, or I just, they're duplicates. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy situation. Ooh. It's an incredible blessing. Um, I, I could never have imagined having this big of a library. I will never be able to move anywhere. Anywhere. Because uh, there's nowhere <laughs> that will fit all my books. Um, my church is very gracious to let me use so much of its space, but Yeah. Crazy situation, but uh, definitely a very yeah. unusual blessing. Yeah, shout out to Dr. Parker for... Dr. Parker. Thank you, sir, This yeah, guy for your generosity. He's such an interesting guy. He really is. He's like a typical Texan um, cowboy, you know, giant beard, uh, kind of looks like Santa Claus, but it's just the whole thing was super, super interesting and really, really fun. Didn't really know what, what I was going into. Had no expectations, and it was just a, a good time. But back, safe, drove that trailer for three days, or that uh, that truck for three days, and now I'm back in the good old motherland. So today today we're getting into, we're talking about titles. We're talking about what's in a name. Wes, you wanted to pose a question right off the hop to kind of get us going. Yeah, uh, Troy, uh, are you an evangelical? I love Jesus. And that is a loaded question <laughs> to different people. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, uh, Steve, how would you answer that question? Yeah. See, that's a really tricky question. And and just the kind of training that I've received, right? My question is at that point always, what do you mean by yeah, that? Exactly. <laughs> right? I make a great lawyer. I was like, what do you mean by evangelical? Because by these terms, yeah, mean different things to different people. Like if I were to ask that... Um, you know, say, pose that question to my friends that are a little bit more left-leaning, let's say, theologically or politically, whatever, they would have a very negative reaction to that sort of thing. So, you know, um, different people have different reactions. So my question is, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I, I found an interesting point that religious historian George Marsden once equipped that in nineteen in the 1950s and 1960s, an evangelical Christian was anyone who liked Billy Graham. That was his, <laughs> that was his benchmark. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question in one sense, but like you said, Steve, I think it requires like a preface, like, am I an evangelical? 
Well, most of the time, I would say yes, but some of the times, no. I mean, definitely for some of my friends in the States, there's a whole different connotation to the term mm-hmm. evangelical than there is here in Canada or in Australia or in the UK or even Europe. There's just like, you know, people have baggage terms. There are some yeah. people who I know who will almost wholly and completely associate the word evangelical with like a prosperity gospel preacher. Wow. Like, mm. and and that's just... It's like the first image that comes in your mind. It's kind of like the word fundamentalist. Are you a fundamentalist? Well, the vast majority of the time I would say no. But if what you mean by that is like the actual meaning of the word, do you adhere to the fundamentals of whatever you're ascribing to? Then yes. But, yeah. you know, I wouldn't describe myself if someone were like, hey, Wes, what kind of Christian are you? I wouldn't say, hey, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. <laughs> right. It's probably not my opening. Yeah, it's such a it's yeah. such a challenge. And, and, and this is where I... I you know, sometimes I may side with a non-believer in their confusion of the church and uh, re- religion is because you see different situations go on in, you know, in the especially the news. Like, for example, uh, like the Westboro Baptist from whatever that was mm. 10 to 15 years ago. The amount of conversations I've had even since then from people that were like, well, it, are, are, are they Christians, too? And I'm like, ah, Yes. Like, well, I guess I guess they're just it's because they're Baptists, right? And so Baptists are different than evangelicals and da 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 da. And I'm like, I know. And it it's just like it seems to always be the differentiation in names gets lost at the worst of times, you know, mm-hmm. or or the world wants to flip it and the moment we've done something horrible, now we're all grouped together. But when we do something great, it's like, oh, look at us, like, you know, and it, I, I think sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. And the the, mm-hmm. the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So the loudest short, sort of representation of any particular identified community is probably going to be what people associate things with, yeah. right? So if, you know, you have no context, you're, you live in kind of like a secular environment, your only exposure to Baptists is Westboro Baptist Church. Right. And then I come along and I say, hey, my name's Wes. I go to West Toronto Baptist Church. And your like frame of reference for Baptists are those guys? Yeah. That's going to skew what I mean when I say, you know, I'm part of the historic Baptist tradition here in Canada. Yeah. So it's really just, you know, what whatever's going on in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that also can happen on all sides, really, right? Um, I grew up Roman Catholic, and you ask an evangelical Christian about some of the more traditional denominations like Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox or Anglicans or whatever, Typical a typical evangelical conception of these traditions is they're very religious. There's dead religiosity, right? And usually it's because there's some truth to that, but it it's so incomplete a picture that it can be misleading, right? Because I, I know plenty of Catholics, Anglicans, and Orthodox who are just sold out for Jesus, as one might say. And so, yeah, it's not just a, a one-sided issue. It's like there's something about using labels per se. It, it comes with 
its own sort of benefits as well as some baggages that we might need to deal with. Yeah. So I guess as we as we move forward into this a little bit, as we try and, you know, zoom out as best we can before we like dive into some specifics, like where do you find that that comes from? Because I think one of the you know, one of the popular phrasings that I hear nowadays, you know, not even nowadays, I'd say it's been five, 10 years or something like that. A lot of people, it's like, I'm not a, I'm not Christian. I'm a Christ follower or I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and people wanting to do away with the, the, even the, the name Christian because of, you know, it getting dragged through the mud, it being associated with some pretty horrendous people, um, or actions of people that say that, they're doing it for God. Like, where does, like, where do we start with <laughs> this sort of thing? I think I can understand people who want to disassociate or at least distance themselves from these types of terminologies. I wonder, though, and maybe this is, you know, the nerdy church historian in me, whether that can cause more confusion than clarity. I think maybe mm. the motivation is correct in sort of disassociating from negative stereotypes, but the method by which they go about it then might just cause more uh, confusion. And what I mean by that is that I knew this guy and he, like you said, Troy, he was like, I'm, I don't want to be known as a Christian. I'm a follower of the way. And he would go around telling him people this and Sounds ominous. I was like, well, and it doesn't, here's the thing. If you say I'm a Christian, at least someone will understand or have a, even if it's a false, vague idea, they'll have a frame of reference for what that is. You know, Christ is in the name. You probably believe Jesus is God. You probably go to a church of some sort of variety. But follower of the way could, I mean, are you Buddhist? Are you New Age? Are you, you know, that could be anything. Pick yeah, a category. You could be Follower a, of the yeah. way could go under that. The Mandalorians. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, the Mandalorians. This is the way. You know, I, I, I was actually thinking, I was thinking, given my upbringing, when people say something like, you know, I'm a follower of the way, I'm thinking Taoism, because that's mm. what Tao means, right? Oh, okay. It's yeah. the way. So I'm the follower of the way. I'm just like, are you a Taoist? Like, what what, you, what way is <laughs> yeah. this? Now, I, the way. I, I'm also a Christian. And so I understand that that's what Christians were called early on, right? These These guys are the followers of the way. But that's a pretty kind of a specific piece of knowledge, biblical knowledge that you have to have in order for you to actually understand the yeah. reference. Yeah. And it's just vague. And I think, I think in understanding why people want to kind of move away from that, I think it's also important that we also keep in a frame of reference that we don't judge any worldview, philosophy, ideology, whatever it is, by an abuse of that thing. So I think it's perfectly appropriate to want to distance oneself from the negative connotations and stereotypes. But let me give you an example of this. Um, if you were, because I grew up, uh, some of the listeners will know, uh, I was a missionary kid. I grew up in the Middle East. There was a country in the Middle East uh, when I was very young called the Democratic Republic of Iraq. Now, if you would come up to me at that point, Troy, we would have both been very, very small. And this would have been a very in intelligent question for you. But uh, or statement for you to say, but if you had come up to me as a child in the Middle East and you had said, you know, Wes, I just can't stand democracy. 
I hate democracy. You know, look at all the pain and suffering it's caused. And if I was to be like, Troy, what are you talking about? And you said, well, look at the Democratic Republic of Iraq. My response, you know, given that we are extremely intelligent seven-year-olds, would be um, (laughs) that, you know, that's not a proper representation of democracy. You know, that's an abuse of democracy. And so it's probably not the best thing to do to judge places like, or or you, tr- or, uh, sorry, you, Steve, you know, the Democratic Republic of North Korea. Is yeah, that a representation that. <laughs> of North, uh, of democracy? Well, no, obviously we know that's not true. And so to then say, you know, we should call, we should just throw away the term democracy entirely, I think would not do what that term actually means. And so I think we can apply that to something like Christian. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point because not to get ahead of ahead of myself at all, but it definitely goes to show how much we love titles more than we like fulfilling them. And I think mm. I think that's where we go wrong. Take something like the the term Christian. It has been used multiple different ways throughout history, and I think this is why there's this need for almost, I don't know how else to really say it, but a reformation of what it really means to be uh, a follower of Christ to what it means to be a Christian. Because you can't, you can't be the best of what we've been called to be in that realm without also acknowledging the worst of it. Now, it doesn't go to say that I got to walk around and I don't think anyway, you guys can disagree, but walk that I got to walk around apologizing for every single thing a Christian has done year after year after year after year. But I think it does go a very long way to at bare minimum acknowledge um, the things that have been done. What do you, what are your guys thoughts on that? No, I, I think, I think there is something to that because when you claim a title or some kind of an identifier for yourself, right? It's really about belonging, isn't it? Cause when, for example, why is it that a lot of really, you know, Many of kids who grew up in really tough life circumstances, why is it that they often join gangs? You know, uh, why? It, well, because they want belonging, and and in doing that, they also take on the name of the group. Yeah, right. Whether it's M thirteen or Bloods or what, whatever gangs out there, and so ultimately when you're putting taking on that identifier like this is a this is more about belonging so then in a sense um you become part of that well in a very real sense you become part of that community and you take on all the sort of maybe benefits isn't the right word but you take on the good and the bad and the ugly of that group. You share in all of this because that's what it means to belong to a community is you share in in all of it. Um, now, I wouldn't perhaps go so far as to say, you know, like, because there is also the part in the scripture where it says, you know, you're not going to be judged by the sins of your fathers, so to speak. But having said that, I, I, I would agree with you, Troy, that the least I can do is, hey, look at the history of the church, for example. We have done these things, um, yeah, acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's definitely that aspect of identity that falls into the category of we want to be associated with things. And this is why 
in a secular society, when you remove church as the place where people gather and pour into one another, you get replacements. I mean, everybody is looking, whether it's like a sports club or a knitting group or, you know, people are going to find something somewhere that they're going to try to fulfill that community aspect. I mean, that's the word we translate church, ecclesia, means congregation. Yeah. I mean, we want, we, we our soul longs for that. I think another aspect of that outside of the identity thing, though, is that there is a proper and good qualification for putting ourselves within an, within an identifier that places us within something that we believe or we adhere to. And I think this is why picking the term and disclaimer, is that the word? The, the, the kind of thing where we fit within the Christian tradition in terms of our denomination or sect is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to people and I'm like, well, you know, what, are you Protestant? Or are you Catholic? And if they reply, you know, which I've, I've experienced, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Well, that's not actually helpful because <laughs> you're going to fall mm-hmm. somewhere because we, yeah. we don't float. We're not in a vacuum in terms of our uh, denominational tradition. We all come from somewhere. And even non-denominational groups are almost always some sort of like Baptocostals, right? <laughs> they follow somewhere in that sort of tradition. You're going to draw from something. <laughs> and so that's where I think like myself as a Baptist, myself as, you know, more of a Reformed Baptist, myself as someone who identifies with, you know, something like the 1689 London Baptist Confession over the Westminster Confession. These are, you know, nerdy descriptors, but they help if people understand what they're talking about to put me into a box, but I think a helpful box yeah. that will describe what actually I am trying to uh, adhere to. And and that's the nice thing about labels is that it, it actually, there's nothing wrong with using labels per se, because that is just a way for us to quickly process a lot of information or bypass um, a way of bypassing the process of, of information that you don't need to process. For example, Um, When you look at me, you know, you would be right to call me Asian, right? Because that's that's what I am. Wait, hold on, Steve. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. So I guess guess this would be my my pushback in this area because I, all my Christian walk, I've not liked titles. I've not liked being put in boxes. I've not liked being classified. Um, It's something that I just, I saw throughout Bible college, the worst of it. Mm. I saw my friends who were Calvinists. He said they were Calvinists. I saw my friends who were Armenian arguing till they were blue in the face to the point where they would joke about, oh, we can't be friends anymore, but it actually would happen. And I'd constantly Mm. be seeing it. And Mm -hmm. especially at the time in my life where I was growing up a pastor's kid and having this very intense moment where I came back to Jesus and chose to make him Lord of my life. When I went to Bible college where I felt was going to be the place, I'm like, okay, I feel like I need to go here to get some education, to get around some Christian community. And I saw more division in Bible college than I saw outside of it. I said, I I always would pose the question and argue like, why, why isn't Jesus enough? This has always been my question. To this day, this is my question. And I know, and it's in the same way me asking this, it can mean different things to different people. If we're doing classifications, Mm -hmm. it's like, what is it for? 
I know we're processing a lot of information, but the question is, what are we processing all this information for? And that's where I wrestle, if I'm just being completely honest and plain. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Uh, I'm glad you brought that point up because I think there is a way in which we use labels to other people, right? You do you know what I mean? It's it's that that phrase of othering, right? So, for example, uh, Andy, when he was when he went to like Northern Ireland and Ireland, like he went along the border there, and he had a tour guide on each side, right? Um, just kind of giving him sort of the history between the two places, and you know, you know, the whole conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants, and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as Andy reports to us, the tour guides were actually quite surprised that people in North America look at that conflict and go, "It's a Catholic Protestant conflict," and they're like, "What are you talking about? It's not at all that. It was a political conflict." But why would they use terms like Catholics and Protestants? Well, it's an easy way to distance yourselves, right? So rather than having an actual religious difference, I mean, there are actual religious differences, but that wasn't the key point. The key point was there's political conflict happening, and now there is something that we can use to distance ourselves from the other group. What makes us different, or rather what makes them different from us, well, it's the fact that they're Catholics or the fact that they're Protestants, and we're going to use these um, these labels then to divide rather than to unite. Because I think there is a danger where if you don't use labels at all, um, that that's my concern is, why, why isn't Jesus enough? I, I think Jesus is enough. It's just that if that's all we go by, there are a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus that yeah. I would not consider Christians in that sense. I, I've had Mormon missionaries come to my door. They claim the name of Jesus Christ in the name of their church, but I wouldn't necessarily see them as Christians. So I think there is some, I think you're, you're bang on, I think, when you say, what is this for? Yeah. And I think that's definitely a part of it. I think specifically to your question, Troy, I because, you know, I I went to seminary and uh, I kind of saw the saw the Bible college part from a little bit of the outside, but also I'm there. Yeah. Um, and I totally understand that. And I think part of that is an immaturity. Mm-hmm. I think it's people discovering some of these identifiers and that they actually do have a significant influence on one's beliefs and theology. And then like hardlining that like bold underline italics all of that stuff because i think it comes with maturity to realize that these things can be secondary issues and be very very important secondary issues and still not impact one's fellowship with a fellow brother and sister in christ yeah and that honestly comes with a lot of maturity. And unfortunately, Bible colleges are one of the worst places, in my experience, and obviously this is, you know, a broad brushing <laughs> statement. So it it definitely does not apply to all Bible colleges sure, everywhere, sure. full stop. But I totally get that because mm-hmm. I was someone who kind of found my own uh, theological perspective a little later in life. And had to do a lot of my own research even before the my formal academic 
area of study and did fall into. You know, right now I'm as reformed five point Calvinist as I think anybody can be. And I know someone like Andy is not. And we may disagree on issues, but man, Andy is my brother. I love him. He, I, I totally respect everything he believes because I think that there's merits and reasons to that. And to divide over that, even though, you know, my reform perspective has influences even on my evangelistic and apologetic approach and methodology, to say that that is something that is room to divide us, I mean, it would be silly at best. Right. And so I think a big portion of that is is immaturity in not really understanding why these things are important. Um, and, you know, labels can be unhelpful. I think that's exactly what you're highlighting, Troy. Mm-hmm. Labels mm-hmm. can be very unhelpful mm-hmm. if we're taking them and really pushing them into an area where, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't matter nearly as much as we think it does at some times in our lives. Yeah, that's well said from from both of you. And I think that's you know, coming into the the apologetics world is something that, you know, for me, I'm, I'm being challenged with all the time. And I think really anyone who starts to, uh, who, who really tries to take things beyond, I, I, and I don't say this as a, to, to insult anyone, but tried to take it beyond just Sunday, the Sunday school approach to the faith. There is depth mm-hmm. to it. There is, and there's a beauty in that, in that depth. Like when you really pull apart a scripture, like we did on a previous podcast, the, the, there's so much richness to the word of God. And, and I think it's the same thing with, with our, with the church faith, that the, the history of the church, there is so much goodness in there. Right. But you, it's kind of like, you know, you're making a chili. You kind of got a scoop from the bottom. You want the flavors to come to the top. Now you, you know, in some aspects, we we've made our mistakes you know we have we have done the church uh the those who bearing the name of Christ bearing the the cro- the red cross on a flag have done horrible things in the in the name of Christ and i think there's still there's always some undertones of that you know there there's always going to be these undertones of yeah i'm a christian and then you have to wait a moment and and really see, okay, how does that name, what does that name do for you? How do you respond to that name? And I think that's part of at least the circles I've I've been in, you know, in specifically being in hip hop and going to mm-hmm. these, you know, whether I've been booked to do a show at a church or I booked to do a show at a bar, my music doesn't change. And so when people find out you're a Christian, I have found that when we have paid so much more attention to the title and not the application of what it really means, yeah. Yeah. that's where we run riot. And so, you know, Wes and Andy, you guys may be on, I, I wouldn't even go and say polar opposites, but you're no. inter- you're, the way you would pr- interpret certain passages and things may be different. Mm-hmm. But I think this is, where, this is where we're starting to get into the problem of, of bearing a title is when you forsake relationship over yeah. for title. And that's yeah. a really, really dangerous place. And that's where I believe a lot of people are getting hurt. Yeah, I, I mean, that that's key, right? Sometimes we start with the broken relationship and then we use labels to divide ourselves. 
yeah. to to disassociate ourselves from other people. I think that's exactly the wrong way to go about it. If we start with brotherhood, like Wes and Andy and myself and you would, uh, it doesn't really matter at that point whether you know Wes is a Calvinist or you know he's Andy is an Arminian. I'm just like I don't know. I lean a little more towards Molinism, but I'm not entirely sure about that either. Like. I don't know where Troy, you specifically sit on that, but that's the point, right? Like, I don't really care where you sit on that particular issue, because to me, I'm like, here's Troy, my brother, that I'm going to spend eternity with. Let's start there. And then, you know, maybe someday he'll tell me where exactly he falls, or maybe not, because he hasn't made up his mind yet. Some of these issues people hold, and that more and more, I'm really... Especially as Wes and I are, here's a shameless plug here, especially as Wes and I are getting ready to do our next ACLE literary expedition on the book of Revelation, I was like, oh, Gidina, like there is so, there are so many views on this. And here's the, here's the key thing that I'm walking. Wait, on. there's more than one interpretation of the, <laughs> the book of Revelation. The one biblical way. Um, and, yeah. And, and I'm finding, oh my goodness, like I can see why pre-trib, pre-millennial, rapture kind of people read uh, the Revelation the way they do and why all millennialists read it the way they do. Um, what I am walking away with is like, there's no clearly self-evident way. Uh, so all, all that to say, yeah, I think I think we should, that's what we need to start with is that sense of family and brotherhood, especially in the church. Yeah. Well, and if we can agree on what matters, I mean... Despite all of our disagreements, you know, the the rabbit trails that we can get on theologically between the four of us on the speaking team, we agree on all the things that really matter. Yeah. We agree on the centrality of Christ. We agree on the gospel. And I mean, that's what—there are disagreements within the New Testament between people like Peter and Paul and just the, the things that they focus on. But— Paul specifically says, and I think this is most clear in the book of Galatians, you know, if anybody brings a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's where the dividing line is. And that's what we agree on. And there's, uh, and, and I think this is, this has sort of been mulling around in my head since you said it, Troy, at the beginning, you were talking about like Westboro Baptist, are they Christians? Well, I think there is actually a way, or, you know, you kind of hinted at the Crusades and the people who put the uh, red cross on their shields and, you know, go out there and raise a sword for Christ. And and I think what we can do is, so there's this idea within philosophy, stay with me for a second, um, called the methodology of form and substance. And so what I did is I just grabbed uh, this Gatorade out of my little mini fridge in my office. Um, it's a yellow Gatorade, which is uh, categorically, and I say this as someone with degrees, uh, the best Gatorade oh, there is. Oh, come on. And that's it. That is it. Blue Gatorade is... The... Anyways, carry on. Oh, no, it's okay. You know what? I love you even though you're wrong. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll use Steve because clearly Troy has uh, <laughs> his chosen to malign my uh, the best Gatorade. But so let's say we were in the same room and, and Steve, all three of us were here and Steve said, you know, I'm really thirsty, Wes. I see you haven't cracked open that Gatorade yet. Do you mind if I take a drink? And I said, yeah, look, it's... Uh, a Gatorade thirst quencher, lemon lime. You can have a drink. 
Well, if Steve, I hand this to Steve, he cracks it open, he takes a drink, and he finds out that this is actually not Gatorade, despite the color. Um, it's windshield washing fluid. <laughs> well, Ooh. then that is that is Gatorade in form in that it claims to be, but it's not Gatorade in, in substance, substance and, yeah. and therefore it's not actually Gatorade. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we can do is we can take the form of Christianity and it, when we pour that out and we get the message of the gospel, of the second person of the Trinity stepping out of eternity into humanity, entering into our depravity and then dying on our behalf, and we get things like pray for those who persecute you, love your enemy, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. When we pour out that substance, but then we see groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, or even groups like you mentioned, Steve the Mormons, who do not believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. They believe that he is another divine figure, along with God the Father, um, that he's a spirit brother of Satan. You know, when we pour this out, that's not the substance of historic biblical Christianity. And so there is actually a defining category that can help us to find out, you know, and divide the Westboro Baptist churches from the West Toronto Baptist churches <laughs> and, uh, and you know, the, the Mormons from the historically small O Orthodox Christians. And I think that is one of the ways where finding out the descriptors and the titles that we go by can be helpful and actually also help to divide the wheat from the chaff in people who are what they claim to be only in form, but not in substance. That's a, that is a really good, um, really good illustration, honestly, that was um, very minus helpful. the the contents, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it just reminded me of second Timothy three, right? Where it, having this, this form of godliness, but denying its power. And I, and I think well, the, the good portion of that denying its power is, mm-hmm. is actually, it kind of comes to both sides again. It's like it's denying that has as Jesus has called us to love people is enough, you know. Yeah. And as we were talking, it it really hit me, and I, and I'd love your guys' thoughts on this. But it it made me start thinking about the Tower of Babel. It really did because I'm like, okay, God, there are these united people. They were united in thought and idea that if they build this tower, we could be one with God. We could be like God. And it's crazy to really look at that story to see that God created separation for the sake of unity according to his design. And that yeah. is something that like even in this moment for someone maybe listening who 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 for, perhaps you're thinking about okay why are there all these denominations why are there all these sorts of things. I feel like Babel is a good picture of that reason being when you're not united for the sake of relationship with Jesus and telling others about Jesus, you're going to feel more scattered than ever before. And you, you being scattered is actually going to be a disservice. But if you look at it as we have a common goal and our different demographics, our certain locations on earth, when we're still, when we're, like we've said before, we're still agreeing with the main things of Jesus, we're able to apply these things in our proper context and cover more basis. But the foundation is Jesus, not Mm -hmm. us and our ability to do something great, but entirely because we have a common goal and that is to make disciples like that. Now feel free to pull that apart. It's just what it made me think about. And I, and I can't, I can't really get away from it. 
I think another example of that, that's a really good example, um, Troy, because, you know, they were unified in idolatry, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is, you know, unification uh, in, entirely the wrong way. But I think one of the other examples that I, I think of in, in that particular topic is John chapter six, when we have a group who are pursuing Jesus, they're, they're literally rowing across a lake to hear him speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have been part of some church movements that if you rode across a lake, they would put you in leadership. Um, <laughs> and yet Jesus then gives the bread of life discourse and they're like, this is hard to understand. And they go from 3000 to 12, uh, one of which is later in only a few verses uh, outlined as Satan. So talk about the opposite of the church growth movement, right? And yet Jesus is very purposeful in why he does that. You know, he's speaking in parables and he says, so that they won't understand. And we're like, wait, why does Jesus not want them to understand? Well, it's because he's he's pursuing a heart, a heart pursuit for individuals. And he doesn't want a superficial level of disciple. Yeah. Um, he does. He doesn't want a a very shallow decision, right? It's not go and make decisions of all nations. It's go and make disciples of all nations. Exactly. And so, I think there. I think these these places like Babel and sort of that uh, explication that you gave Troy, um, or John chapter six. I think these should challenge us mm-hmm. to think about. Okay, well, what is my pursuit of Christ? What what does that look like? How is that materializing? Uh, am I pursuing unity for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons, um, even though, you know, they might look very pious. But we want to build a giant tower to reach to God. You know, that, I mean, it sounds good, <laughs> um, even though it's idolatry. And so I think these, uh, I think these are really uh, useful and thoughtful ways to think about scripture and then how we sort of identify and find our own mm-hmm. qualifications for who we are and where we fall into. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of idolatry, right? If you think really think about it, idolatry, it's rarely that you pick something that you know to be evil and then you raise it above God, mm. right? It's often you pick something good yeah. that is only secondarily good and then you try to make it the ultimate good. So, mm. um in one of C.S. Lewis's stories, I think it was The Great Divorce, there is the story of this mother who has this really stifling love for her son. To her, her motherly love for her son is the ultimate good, such that she refuses to enter into heaven because of that, right? Because to in order for her to enter into that glory you know, to be with Jesus, she actually has to lay down her obsessive love for her son. Now, a motherly instinct, a motherly love, that is a great thing, but she took that and made it the ultimate thing, right? And so that was her idol. And I think we can get into the same problem um, with labels. Um, One guy that I sometimes read from is this guy, Tim Stratton. Uh, He is a theologian, uh, Molinist or whatever. And he, as he tells the story, when he was growing up, he was such a hardline Calvinist that he, he would say that he was probably a Calvinist be- before he was a Christian. 
right? Like he elevated his Calvinism so high that to him at that time, not anymore, but at that time, it was more important for him to remain Calvinist almost than mm. could, and, and he really identified that with being Christian. If you weren't Calvinist, you really weren't kind of thing, right? And so I, I think that that's something to watch out for. Because for example, if I were to take my being Asian, my ethnicity, and I take that and try to make it the ultimate good so so that I'm yeah, an good. Asian before I'm a Christian, then I've got a problem. And I think yeah. you could say the same thing about somebody who calls themselves, oh, like we do this Davidic worship, right? Mm-hmm. If that comes before you being a Christian, I would have to question that. That's such a great point, Steve, because I think without a proper understanding of Davidic worship, it can lead you down this road of, same thing, idolatry, idolizing David. And then this is where the danger comes in, is because, okay, if we're going to start raising up David, like, oh, this great worshiper, this warrior, yeah, also adulterer, uh, also murderer, uh, you know, uh, like— what, where, where does the, you gotta, if you're going to start hailing him like this, then you gotta, you gotta take it all in. But this is where I think like you're, like you're saying, Steve, it's if you raise up any of these titles over the name of Jesus, that's actually counter what the Bible says, because it says he's the name above all names. And so anything that falls under there is not going to meet the mark. That's just flat out, whether whether you claim to be Calvinist or Arminian, Molinism, whatever, whatever it is, I think what what we're really trying to convey today is these titles can have can be a really great conversation starter. They can be the great beginning of a relationship because it does help put certain belief systems or doctrines and theology in certain categories for good, for the sake of the, the building of, of God's church and relationship, but it cannot stop there and it shouldn't stop there. The application of that is the life of Jesus. The The application of that is the word, is the word of God and living out what it says day to day and not allowing your title mm-hmm. to be elevated over yeah. another person's. And I think um, knowing the limitations and the usefulness of the labels we use is also helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the the label of myself as a Canadian is a very useful label, especially when it's on my passport and I'm trying to do something like go to Texas um, <laughs> for a crazy trip. Like, right, to get on that airplane, I need that qualifier and identifier. Mm-hmm. But that only goes so far because I could just as likely be from the UK. I could just as likely be from... Australia, you know, it's it's a useful one, and understanding where the limits of it are and the usefulness of it is will help me, and that I I think goes along with uh, finding the qualifications, descriptors, and identifiers theologically, doctrinally, and uh, denominationally. Thank you guys so much for for tuning into the AC podcast today. This was a this was a doozy, and. I think it, but I think it was it was valuable and it and it's important. There may be a listener in here who is maybe maybe you're a little challenged. Maybe there's some you disagree with, and maybe you love titles. Maybe you hate titles. Either way, the point of today's episode is entirely to 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 make sure you know the titles that you're claiming, know what you claim, because as a believer, you will stand for that testimony. You will you will stand for the for the things that you say, and. 
you are, whether whether you like it or not, whether regardless of where you are in your faith, when you call yourself a Christian at bare minimum, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be representing Jesus. It is a joy to call ourselves a Christian. It is an honor to bear the name of Christ, that he would die on the cross and give us his name so that we can have eternal life with him. That's ultimately what all of this comes down to. So again, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We do pray you were challenged and encouraged. This is a ministry. We're always looking for partnerships. If someone out there you would like to help AC out or you would like to have a conversation about how you think you could help us in future events, feel free to reach out to us at info at apologeticscanada.com. Till next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.